Well, good morning, everybody. First Peter chapter two, the verses that we read, verses four to ten, they're the, the final unit, the final section of the opening of Peter's letter to the churches. He brings his audience to a stunning climax of who Christian, who the Christian is because of Jesus Christ. And there's probably no more sweeping concept for new identity than the concept of rebirth that we saw at the very beginning of the, the epistle. Verse number three says this. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so we've been given a new relationship with God the Father as well as a new inheritance and a living hope that will result in our deliverance, and this is most important, our deliverance from God's wrath on the day of judgment. There's probably no more relevant truth in the world than that. I hear people talk about how churches have to be relevant. To me, the most relevant thing is that you're being saved from the judgment, eternal judgment of God. I, I don't think there's anything more relevant than, than that at all. So here in verses 4 to 10, Peter completes a summary of describing the nature of the community into which we've been born again. And he does this not so much by speaking about our relationship to one another, but rather describing our relationship to God and our relationship to the community around us. And he he does it with two pictures. And those two pictures are, first of all, a living stone, living stones and a holy priesthood. These two pictures help us unpack two important theological truths. A living stones unpacks the truth of our union with God. Because we are now in Christ, we are united with Him. And holy priesthood is the concept of our access to God. We now have access to Him. If you were in my Sunday school class, this this fits really well into what I was speaking about Sunday school. When Adam and Eve were sinned, they were cast out of the presence of God towards the east. And every time man sinned, there was a Cain sin, he went further away from the presence of God. And now we have access to God, the most important person in the universe. Now we come to verse number 4, chapter 2, verse number 4, and it says this, As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. So Jesus Christ is a living stone. But notice something else in verse number 5. Look at verse number 5. He goes on to say, You yourselves, like living stones, are built up into a spiritual house. Now here's a question I want to ask you. And it's a very important question. What on earth are living stones? Do you might see any on the way to church today? What are living stones? Well, listen to this because this is so exciting. The, I, 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 I was disappointed in one, in one respect. I couldn't preach last week because of this. And, and now I'm, I'm just really excited. Most Americans, most Westerners think that Jesus, the living stone, is the living stone because of his resurrection. And that is incorrect. And they believe that we are living stones because we are alive in Christ. But when the recipients of Peter's letter read that he was a living stone and they were living stones, they had a completely different idea in mind. In, in, ancient, in the ancient East, there were two types of stones. 
There were dead stones and there were living stones. Dead stones had no purpose. They had no connection. A dead stone was any kind of a stone that was laying on the ground. Lying? Anyway, it's on the ground. Okay? Um, they were by themselves. They were not connected to anything. But when you take a stone and you connect it to other stones in a structure, all of a sudden that stone has purpose. That is a living stone. And so the, the, the people that Peter were, were writing to, they understood that living stones were stones that were connected to one another. They had a purpose and structure. They understood that now they have a purpose. They were alone and by themselves, and now they're intimately connected. A living stone is connected to other stones in the structure, and it fits this passage perfectly. Look at the passage one more time. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, see that? Like living stones are being built up. They understood. A living, they are like the stones that they see in structures. They're like those living stones. They're being interconnected. That, that's what's going on. They're, they're connecting with each other. So, they're, they're being built up. Now, what do you think about when you see the word stone? You think of something like that? Those aren't stones. Those are rocks. Except for that one thing in the middle. That's, that's a rock badger or a hyrex. You've probably seen those words in the Bible. A rock badger, a hyrex. That's in northern Galilee. And, and those things are all over um, one of the sites that we go to there. These are rocks. Okay? These are stones. Okay? And if you've been to Israel, that's the, on the southern wall of the, the Temple Mount. And let me see. I'm going to take a chance. Well, yeah, we got a laser here. Okay. Uh, can I point out something really cool? Then I'll get back to my sermon. I, I got to do this because um, the the size and the beauty of the stone it corresponds to the size and the beauty of the reign of the person who's in charge. And what you're looking at these stones are from Herod's temple. The, this that that I'm touching right there. And Herod's temple was destroyed, right? He was a Roman. He was in the Roman Empire. Now, remember that there was an empire that followed up. The Roman Empire split. There was the Byzantine Empire. They were not as glorious as the Roman Empire. Thus, the stones are smaller. Isn't that cool? And so in Jerusalem, as in, in, when you look at the wall of the Temple Mount, the stones get smaller because the glory of the kingdoms that follow that build on top of one another is lesser and lesser. And so you have you have these stone these stones. And if you have the privilege of of going anywhere where you have these ancient structures, you realize that the size and character of the building material directly relates to the glory of its ruler. Everything that Herod the Great did was was majestic. And that's why you see Jesus and his disciples are leaving the temple. And in Mark 13, the disciples, the Bible says they pointed and said, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. You remember that? And Christ wasn't impressed at all. You remember what he said? You see all these stones, and these walls, they're going to be broken down. 
I'm not impressed at all. Now, when somebody builds with a stone, they choose the stone they want to build with. Some get chosen and some get rejected. That, that's, that's true of everybody who builds. You go to northern Galilee, it's volcanic and you saw the black rock there. And a lot of structures were made out of that black uh, basalt rock. But if you were really rich and some of the some of the later um, synagogues in that area, they they hauled in white marble or granite or whatever you want to say, sandstone from another area because they had more money. And so that that directly related. But they chose the stones they wanted to use. Some get chosen, some get rejected. And first Peter two, four tells us about two kinds of people. Do you see it there? Those who who come to the stone, believers, and those who reject the stone, unbelievers. Unbelievers don't value Jesus Christ. Um, yes, they might look at Jesus and they value his moral example. They might admire the counterculture and the nature of his ministry. They might even admire his his teaching, the way that he was able to tell stories the fact that he was able to garner a crowd, but they reject him by and large as being uh, any kind of a savior. They don't they don't regard him much more than that. But for the believer, for you who believe in Jesus Christ, Jesus is much more. Your assessment is in line with God's. What did God? How did God assess Jesus? God assessed Jesus by saying he was chosen and precious. You see. That's his assessment of Jesus. That's your assessment of Jesus. If you are in him, you look at Jesus and you have come to the stone and you build your life on him. And God is building, and we'll see this next week in more detail, a spiritual house and and it's on the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. And so when they're building their lives, they examine Christ and his claim and his and uh, they, they, they want to be more like Jesus Christ. And they want to be not unfit, but fit for Him and for His glory. And so you're just centered on Jesus Christ. Those are two kinds of people. The, the vast majority of humanity, they look at Jesus, they look at His claims, and they decide that He is unfit for them to build their lives on. They would rather build their lives on, say, humanistic philosophy. Man is the, the end of all means. Man is the center of everything. Um, they throw their confidence into politics. And they get really animated when it comes to politics. And politics is life. Uh, they decide that the, the pursuit of happiness is, is key to purpose in life. And Christ is a rejected living stone. So here again... This theme of election is introduced by Peter all the way back in chapter 1, verse 3. And, and he began the letter with it. And now he's ending this opening section talking about Jesus being the chosen and honored by God and rejected by men. And the, and the people Peter is writing to are chosen and precious to God and rejected by men. Aren't we rejected by men? Our, our society is running as far away from Christianity as it possibly can, right? I was reading two weeks ago over in the Netherlands, which the Netherlands were were home to the Dutch Reformed Church, the Belgic Confession, and, and the Synod of Dort, 
came from there, the Canons of Dort and all that sort of stuff. And the Netherlands, uh, some, some of the Christians over there, they signed the Nashville Statement. I don't know if you know what the Nashville Statement is. The Nashville Statement says that marriage is between a man and a woman. And there's the evangelicals in the Netherlands that signed that statement, and the government is looking as to whether or not they should prosecute these people. They're running from that, that Christ, and they're rejecting Christ as fast as they can. Same thing is true here in our, in our own country. And so you see that there are, there are two kinds of people. Unbelievers who reject Christ and believers who come to Him. Now, I want to show you a little bit more about stones, and then we're going to move on. These stones are underground today. They're on the western wall. They're about 25 feet below the surface of Jerusalem. And um, these are typical of the stones that, that Herod built with. And I want you to notice something about the stones. The stones were laid in place, and then they were dressed. See these seams? Can you see a seam there? You can't see a seam. The way that they laid the stones in you literally cannot slide a piece of paper in between the stones. And once they laid them in place, then they were dressed. Now, the Bible says that you are living stones in the temple of God. So what is God doing with you? He's doing the same thing. He's dressing you. He's making you fit for being part of the temple of God. Here's another stone. Now, I don't know if you can see this that well. Uh, I don't have the whole stone in this picture that I took. This is only part of it. This is the largest stone that they found on the Temple Mount. Again, if you go to uh, where it's a seam with another large stone, you cannot fit a piece of paper in between them. Now, these are, these are later. This is, this is fascinating to me. This is, this is all underground, and this is the, they built on the rubble, right? This stone, when during Jesus' day, was 20 feet above the ground because it was a valley. This stone, by the way, this is what I, I'm showing you, the stone, weighs, they estimate, 570 tons. That's over a million pounds for you who are math deficient. A million pound stone, they laid in place, you can't slide a piece of paper in it, and that's the glory of the large temples that, that in large structures that Herod built with. And we are placed on earth. We are saved to glorify Jesus Christ. And so now we come to the main point of this passage. And that is this. Christians who come to faith in Christ will be built into the walls of the building of which Christ is the foundation or the cornerstone. He's, he's the cornerstone we see. He's the foundation stone. And we, are, we the church, are being built into a spiritual structure that Peter likens to stones, intimately connected with Christ. And, and um, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. This is what we call our, our union with Christ. Christ is in, included in the spiritual temple alongside believers. This amazes me. Doesn't it amaze you? The one, the perfect one, who came from heaven, humbled himself, took on the form of a servant, died on the cross, and rose again. He is still humbling himself enough that we are being built in with him. There's a close proximity between him and the ones he died for, between him and the ones who used to be his enemies. 
I don't think there's a more exhilarating thought than that. Isn't it, isn't it incredible that you have this close union with the God of the universe who spoke everything into existence, who's so holy that the Bible said that there, there's no need for the sun in heaven because his glory lights everything. And so we as believers are, are being built into a new temple and he's the cornerstone. And Christ is the foundation of this new temple. And this is stunning. And remember something else. I want to throw one more thing out there. When Peter wrote this, there was still a temple in Jerusalem. Can you imagine the Jews who read what Peter just wrote? How mind-blowing that had to be for them, knowing that the temple was still in place, the, temp- the very temple symbolic of the presence of God. They believed that the presence of God was there with these massive stones. And Peter completely reinterprets it and says, that's just a building. You're the real temple that God is building. Isn't that incredible to think about? That God is is building us as stones? Well, I want to give you some implications of what this means. What does this mean for us? Number one, the placement of of the living stone with living stones in the temple implies a close relationship that believers have and a common nature as human beings. There is close proximity with the living God that we haven't enjoyed since the fall, and there is a close proximity with one another. And whether you like it or not, God is building a Providence Bible Church to be close to one another. Number two... We're not heaped in a, in a pile or scattered across the field. Neither are we individually temples of God. We are placed in a spiritual house for a purpose of worshiping the living God. We, we Westerners, this rugged individualism that you learned about in history, it, it still remains in our DNA that, look, I'm the temple of the living God. No, that's not true. It's plural. You are becoming the temple of the living God. He's building you, plural, into the temple. Not me, singular. You, plural. Number three implication is, um, this relates back to the, the, the suffering theme. In order to fit, stones had to be shaped. And what do I mean? Until you go to heaven, and this is so important, until you go to heaven, God is chiseling you into the shape that He needs you to be to fit into His holy temple that's cool to think about isn't it and it's different let's go back let's look at some pictures real quick there's the one you see the chisel marks here right you can see the rough chisel marks here these were the 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 foundation stones uh, of the western wall some of them okay but what about these how about that one that's from the temple now do you think there was a good bit more chiseling going on on that one than were some of the others how about this one? That's that's from the temple. Uh, that's in a, a in an archaeological site there on the temple. A lot of chiseling went into that, wouldn't you say? Now, aren't those beautiful? Would you rather have one of these outside your home or one of these? How about that one? Would you like to have that one outside your home somewhere? How would you like to pave with something like that or whatever? I don't know. But what is my point? Are you ready? The vast majority of us, God is building into a stone that's very similar to the other. We're common. 
There's nothing wrong with being common, by the way. In America, we're all supposed to be exceptional like these. Every once in a while, somebody comes into his, somebody comes up who we would call exceptional, whose name will live on for centuries. Possibly somebody like Billy Graham, right? Charles Spurgeon, um, John Wesley, Charles Wesley, uh, Jonathan Edwards, and, and some of these others, right? Those are the ones that live on for a long time, but there was a lot of chiseling going on in their life. When you read about these biographies, God took a lot of effort to chisel away things that were not pretty from those stones of their lives. And they became beautiful because they endured a lot of suffering and a lot of shaping by God. You think, think all the way back. Let's go back all the way to the Old Testament. So God called Moses to lead the children of Israel. How long did he chisel on Moses out in the desert? Forty years, didn't he? God called Joseph to save his family in the famine. But he had to take him down, didn't he? Threw him in the pit. Then he became a slave. He goes into the household. He goes from being a slave to a prisoner. That, we believe, transpired over a period of 17 years. What was God doing with Joseph? God was chiseling him. God called David to be the second king of Israel. How long did David run from Saul? Years and years and years. You read the Psalms. Book 2. I believe that's, uh, that goes all the way to chapter number 72. Was it 32 to 72? Something like that. Whatever book 2 is. They're all about suffering. David is saying, everybody's after me. Everybody's coming after me. But Lord, I trust in you. I have enemies. My brother turned me in. But Lord, I'm trusting in you. Please. And, and it's all the imprecatory Psalms. And what is God doing to David? God is building his trust in him so that David could be this exceptional person that we read about in history. You want to be exceptional for the Lord? Then you better plan on enduring a lot of chiseling because God is shaping you to become more useful for his work. Me, I'm content to be plain, to be honest with you. I'm fine. You know, chisel on me a little here and there, right? Uh, Okay, can I give a confession? I don't know if I've told you this or not. If I have, I'm sorry. If I haven't, I'm still sorry because you won't like this. Do you know why I sometimes pray? Lord, make me pleasing to you, but don't do it through suffering. <laughs> That's how much of a wimp your pastor is. So maybe you need to start praying, Lord, make him suffer. But, uh... All right, let me give you number four here. Number four, there is one single temple in which all believers are built. The Christian church is not a social organization, but the new temple where transformed lives of believers are offered as sacrifices to the glory of God, which lead us, leads us to the last one. And that is the significance and purpose of the individual Christian cannot be realized apart from the community of believers. Do you want to be significant for God? Then connect with the community of believers. That's your significance. That's how you fulfill your purpose. Living stones are not set on a pediment somewhere and say, look at that beautiful stone. The disciples said, look at that beautiful building 
and the stones that are in it. You want to glorify and magnify Jesus Christ, then you become the best stone you can in the temple that God has placed you that you're working in. Your significance, I can't overstate this, comes from your connection with other believers. And you're part of God's grand building project. Practically speaking, that means that you're saved into the local, into the church universal, and therefore you must involve yourself in the local church. While we're not huge by any stretch of the imagination, this is a, there are a lot of people here, and it's easy to get lost. So I want to talk a little heart to heart before we move on. Heart to heart. Compared to the number of people that we have in a worship service on Sunday morning, I would say that there are a lot here that are not connected. You're not connected in any significant way. If, if the only connection that you have with Providence Bible Church is that you come on Sunday mornings and you participate in the worship service, how is that connecting with a body of believers? We have multiple opportunities. We have, we have Sunday school classes we have small groups. Uh, we have a ladies' Bible study. We have men's Bible studies. We, we have all these things by which you can get connected. We have, we have deacons and elders who are assigned ministry. And, and, and so you have the opportunity to connect with them. And they should be connecting with you. And you need to plug yourself in somehow because that's where your significant come, significance in the, in the body of Christ comes. We have opportunities in our counseling ministry. We have people that, that volunteer at the pregnancy center, that volunteer at Young Life, and, and the, it's on and on and on. And you can get plugged in, and you can uh, realize the significance in the, the, in the relationships that God has for you when you get plugged in to the church. Now, there's one more application I want to make. Sometimes stonemasons are working on a stone. You know how stonemasons, I've never, I've, I'm always amazed. They can take a stone in their hand, they can hit it, and it cracks right where they want it to do. You ever tried that? <laughs> I have. It didn't work out so well. You know, I take a brick or something, I hit it, and the brick, the whole thing just shatters, and it, it, it's all done, but not with stonemasons. But if a stone breaks or shatters in a place where it shouldn't have, this is an imperfection in the stone. And when that happens, the stone is either unusable or only useful for smaller things. And so if the quality of stone, what I said a while ago, demonstrates the glory of the builder, then wouldn't you want to yield to Jesus Christ? Because the more His people become a holy house, a set-apart people, a people who love Him and adore Him and, and um, are, are humble in His sight and will change when he, when he talks to them, the more glory it brings to Jesus Christ. Don't you want that? Don't you want to be reading this Word and say, you know what, Lord, I see in Your Word this. Uh, I really need to be doing this. Yield to Jesus Christ. So my question for you is, where are you not yielding to Jesus today? Is there an area right now that you're being a stiff-necked person? The Bible uses that term, a stiff neck. Is there an area of your life where you're not yielding to Him that you should? Maybe there's an area in your life where God is calling you to service. 
And you're not serving Him. And you know that. And you've got something that you could contribute to His body and help His body out. Maybe today's the day that you need to yield to His calling for you to do that. One final application. Every person here is important. There's a story about a a Spartan king who was boasting to a visiting monarch about the walls of, of Sparta. And as the, as the visiting king looked around, he could see no walled city. And he looked at the king sarcastically and he said, where are the renowned walls of Sparta? The king pointed at his army and said, there are the walls of Sparta. Every man a brick. And that is true of Jesus Christ. You are important. Although the image in 1 Peter is of a building and not a wall of defense, the idea remains the same. What That, that every living stone has a role to play for the integrity and the well-being of the whole. God's house is spiritual. And in this sense, it's constituted by the lives of those who come to Him. And so the first picture of believers is as living stones. It, it helps us to see the our union with Christ. The second picture is of um, a, a um, holy priesthood. The, the second picture of the holy priesthood emphasizes our access. Verse number 5, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now notice, we're not building ourselves up, but that we are being built up. Why? To be a holy priesthood. We now have access it was only the priesthood that had direct access to God. And now all people have direct access to God. Isn't that wonderful? To me, the word access has a great ring to it. Doesn't it to you? Wouldn't you like to have access? You know, no access, the signs say. Access is only for the privileged. Wouldn't you agree? It's not like it was in the Old Testament when only a certain order of priests could approach God, and only a high priest on one day could go into the Holy of Holies. Yeah, it's not like it was when God was untouchable and men were inadmissible to His presence. Under the Old Testament economy, there were signs everywhere. No admittance. No access. No admittance. Stay away. No access. No admittance. It was all over. They had it in the temple. Do you remember they had the court of the Gentiles, the court of women, the court of men, and outside every court, there was a sign. If you if you're not if you haven't paid your vow, you can't go in. If you're not a woman, you 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 can't go in. If you're not a man, you can't go in. And the access, there's signs. If you violated the sign, you could lose your life. And yet, on on the day of of atonement, the high priest Yom Kippur, he went into the holy of holies, and it was such a sacred event that he had to go through ceremonial washing as well as spiritual confession. He had to offer for his own sin in order to make sure he was he was clean. Beyond the high priest, there was only one priesthood and only one priesthood that could offer sacrifices to God. And anybody who stepped into the priesthood and tried to do it without being a true priest was in danger of, of severe judgment. Do you remember those people in the Old Testament? Do you remember when David was transporting the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem? And it was on a cart, which was not how it was supposed to be 
transported and the cart hit a rock and the Ark of the Covenant started to fall out, who touched it? Uzzah. What happened? He died immediately, didn't he? Do you remember King Uzziah? King Uzziah, who had such a wonderful reign. He reigned, I think it was, for 52 years. God made him a powerful king. And in his pride, he decided that God's blessing for him was such that he could now be king and priest. And he went into the temple, into the holy place. And the Bible says that he was struck with leprosy and was cast out of the worship area and was also cast out of his palace uh, because of it. Do you remember um, also that there was Korah? Remember Korah? All the way back in the, in the Exodus. And he said, why is Aaron so special? Why, why are the, Levi, the Levites and the priests so special? The sons of Aaron, we can do it too. And what did God do? God opened up the ground and swallowed him and his family and everybody who followed him. You see, access to God before was, was very limited. Stepping into the priestly arena without having been ordained of God meant that you lost your life or that your life was in jeopardy. But now it's so different. We have special privileges. We can come to God day and night. How great. Day and night we can come to God. Because Jesus, our great high priest, paved the way for us to come to God. It allows us to offer sacrifices that are acceptable to God. In fact, turn to Hebrews 13. I've got to show you this. Hebrews 13. We're going to look at verse number 15. You people that put your Bibles away, I tell you. I'm taking names. Hebrews 13.15 I want you to see this about access and about how we, we, we worship God. Hebrews 13.15 Through Him that's, that's Christ. Through Him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips who acknowledge His names. Do you see that? Sacrifice of praise now, what do you mean by this phrase, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His names? Well, it's wonderful that He not only wants all of our faculties, but He wants our praise. Our, we can offer a spiritual sacrifice of praise to God. That's an offering. Do you understand what that means? That we can offer a sacrifice to God like a priest? Um, let, me, let me just show you a couple things. What does it mean to praise God? What does that kind of spiritual sacrifice mean? Well, number one, it means to recite His attributes. You can praise God by reciting His attributes. Do you know the attributes of God? Do you know how to praise God by His attributes? If you don't, read the Psalms. I I read the Psalms, and one of the things I do is I catalog praises by which in my prayer I can praise God. I praise Him for His sovereignty. praise Him for His mercy. praise Him for His grace. Praise Him for His magnificent creation. Praise Him for all of His glory. And so you can, you can do it by reciting His attributes. That's praise. With a heart that exalts God. You can exalt Him for His wisdom. Exalt Him for His knowledge. Exalt Him. Honor Him. Respect Him. Reverence Him. That's one spiritual sacrifice of praise. A second spiritual sacrifice of praise is to recite His works. Not only His attributes, but His works. Not only who He is, 
but what He has done. And if there's no other reason than to study the Old Testament, that reason would be enough, wouldn't it? Study what God has done so that you can know everything that God has done. And as we recite the great redemptive work of God, and that's praise. Praise isn't just saying, praise God, praise the Lord, praise the Lord over and over. It's, it's reciting His attributes in a way that exalts Him for that. Reciting His works in a way that exalts Him. Lord, thank You so much for the Red Sea crossing and how that You saved Your people when it just seemed like all was lost. I know that You'll do the same here. And, and you could go through the works of God Thank You, Lord, that You saved the nation of Israel in the Red Sea crossing because if there was no Israel, there would be no salvation. Because there would be no Jesus Christ, the son of, of David, right? There would be no David. And so you can praise Him for these things. Thirdly, it's saying thanks for both. It's, it's being thankful. Thank You, Lord, for all that You have done. So that's, that's a spiritual sacrifice to praise God. But there's another one in verse number 16. Did you close your Bibles again? Okay. Hebrews 13, 16, we'll see a second one. And that is doing good. Do not neglect to do good and to share with what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So doing good is a sacrifice to God. Isn't that great? You, you might say, well, pastor, you know, I don't, I don't have the education you do in the Bible. I don't get to study as much as you do. So how do I praise God? How do I offer spiritual sacrifice? I do things. I, I do good things. I, um, I don't neglect to do these good things. It, it's the opposite of... of it's doing right things. And it's the opposite of sinning, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. So the next element of spiritual sacrifice is doing good. Doing what is right. Doing what is righteous. Having spiritual conduct that honors God. You see, we're right down there on, on the very basics of the Christian life. Being a spiritual priest means that I offer everything I am to Him. It means I incessantly praise Him. And it means that I do good. That's a spiritual sacrifice. I'm going to have to just stop with this last one and, and uh, shut her down. We're running late. Let me give you one more. And that is to give your resources. Look at the verse one more time. Verse number 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to Him. Do good and share. It means beyond doing good. It specifically means uh, sh- sharing. It means giving up your resources sacrificially to meet the, the need of someone else. It's a spiritual sacrifice. And so you, dear believer, can praise God by doing these things. These are the kind of spiritual sacrifices that, that Peter is talking about. You can praise Him with your words. You can praise Him by doing righteous deeds, by loving your enemy, by loving one another, by helping those in need. And you can send a spiritual sacrifice by giving of your resources to others and to His ministry. Oh, what a wonderful privilege that we have. We're all priests. All of us are priests. But, when we hear priests of the believer, realize that it's not, hey, 
I'm individually a priest and I'm really cool. It's I'm a priest and I'm one of many priests and all of us together offer a sacrifice of praise to God. When you go to the book of Revelations, particularly verses um, or chapters four and five, you see John gives a revelation. He says, and I see a, a multitude. He's talking about the church. He says, I see a multitude. But what it doesn't say is I see a multitude and Joe. Joe was really good. It doesn't say that anywhere, does it? We're just all stones and all of us together yielding to God, being obedient to God, centering our life on God. We're living stones that add to the glory of the spiritual temple that God is building. Let me ask you a question. How are you working to glorify God in His spiritual building, in His temple? How are you yielding to Christ? How are you sacrificing to Christ? And and are you being a holy priest doing works of praise? These are so important. Well, Lord, we thank You for the the truth that we see in Scripture. I was really excited about this image of, of us being spiritual stones. It's not that we're being built up into this beautiful stone so that we receive glory, but rather we're fit into a body so that You get the glory. And may you make us stones that please and honor and glorify you and that will be built into your spiritual house so that in the end we can praise you with our lives and all of our being. In Christ's name, amen.